Hey, my name is Will Newsom, and in December 2021, I decided to break into tech. I set my eyes out on a career that provided stability, flexibility, and statistics, one of my favorite things. So I signed up for an online part-time coding bootcamp called Tripleton and became a data scientist in a bit under a year. Ten years ago, none of this would make any sense. Bootcamps are a fairly new form of education. The first ones were set up in the early 2010s. Back then, becoming a data scientist in a matter of months was unheard of. But a lot of things were unheard of in 2010, like the whole world working from home because of a global quarantine or chatbots supposedly coming for our jobs. I guess my point is the world is changing radically and a lot of people started feeling like their job is no longer relevant and doesn't allow them to keep up with all these changes. Many found that the best way to adapt is to break into tech. Because we hear that tech jobs come with a better paycheck and flexible hours. And a bootcamp is the quickest way to get there. Accessible for everyone from all walks of life. But regardless of how good a new job may sound, it's still scary. How do these rapid changes affect our families? Do you need to move to these huge tech hubs? Will I ever get a job? This is a Tech Start podcast. And in this show, we explore the realities of changing careers and getting into tech. Change is tough and sometimes it's stressing. We make it less so by talking to experts and ordinary people about their transition into tech. In this episode, we'll talk to CJ Jordan. She's a career coach from Triple Ten. Wherever you are in your career search journey, this conversation is for you. CJ will talk about whether or not it's a good time to make a leap, what kind of tech jobs are out there, and what you really want to know, how to get these jobs. Keep listening for advice on how to get your resume noticed and how to land a job interview. I have been in tech for a bit over 15 years, to date myself a little bit there. I've been in various roles, so I have been tech support person who picked up the phone and answered when there was disgruntled customers. I've been a software engineer. I've been in various roles on the product side, including being the VP of product engineering. I've really kind of moved around the tech space in a lot of roles. I've, I've done technical enablement and technical documentation writing. So I've had a lot of roles in the tech space at both startups and at enterprise level organizations. Okay. I know you said you were in tech for 15 years and that's like, that's a lifetime in the tech industry. And obviously like it was hype, but is there still hype around like the IT industry now? Oh yeah. I I honestly, like, I think there's a lot more hype now than there was 15 years ago. 15 years ago was a very different scene with very different types of roles than you see now. I think we had this vision of of people sitting in, in maybe their mom's basement coding away in the dark. And and some of that was a little bit more true uh, back then. But now it's really turned into this very diverse landscape with roles for people all the way from, of course, your, your software engineers, but also to project managers and business analysts and uh, data engineers. Artificial intelligence has been a big boom, right? So I think it's actually a more exciting and more diverse field now than it used to be. With it being diverse, there's entry-level roles and there's there's obviously like executive roles, like VP roles. What entry-level roles have been like, I guess, genuinely available in the tech industry for, let's say, like, I guess the last three years? I think there's always a need for new talent. The field continues to grow faster than the talent can be created. And so I think there's always going to be entry-level roles across the board. I think the hard thing for entry-level roles is proving that you actually have the requisite skills. That's a 
really difficult thing to do in entry level. And it's a lot easier to do if you have six months of experience, which means when you're brand new and you're going up against people with six months or a year of experience, it's a really competitive space. It's just difficult to show, hey, I have the technical aptitude. I have the skills that you need. I'm going to be an excellent hire once I get six months under my belt. And so there's a little bit of a tendency in the industry to bias towards those people who have six months or a year of experience. You can say, hey, look, these people actually can prove to me that they that they have these requisite skills. And for that reason, I think for entry level roles, networking becomes really, really key because then you have someone who can vouch and say, yes, this person has a high technical aptitude. They're a quick learner. They're a great study. They're a good teammate. This is someone that you want to have on your team. So I'd say like there's a huge appetite across the breadth of the industry for entry level folks. It's just really networking and finding someone who can genuinely vouch for your skills to help you get that foot in the door. That's been my experience at least. What's one way, I guess, someone um, who's looking to break into the tech industry, a creative way that they can, I guess, network um, so they can set themselves apart from the crowd? I, I think there's a lot of good ways to network. LinkedIn is obviously a, a good tool for online networking if you don't have as much opportunity to do it in person. I always think in person is better. Making those face-to-face connections with people is better. But LinkedIn can be a really powerful tool. And I, I have seen people be really successful just reaching out to someone at a company they really want to work at and building relationships, starting conversations keeping those ongoing and and seeing where they can add value. But I think if you want to get off of LinkedIn, you want to get in person, meetups are a great way to do it. There's usually really exciting meetups for entrepreneurs and then more specific ones for like data people and software engineers in most major cities. That's a really cool way to meet people, especially if you get into that entrepreneurial space where you're finding people who are always going to new companies, building new things, right? They tend to have a really large network. So those are great people to meet. Hackathons are another really good way to meet people. So if you have something that you feel like you can contribute at a hackathon. That's a cool way because then you've not only met someone, you, you've bonded with them in a real way because you're working on a really tight deadline on something big to build together. And they can very much vouch for your skills because they watched you do it, right? They've actually worked on a, on a meaningful project with you. So I think hackathons are huge. But I think what people overestimate is there's this feeling that you need to network exclusively with people that have the title you want. But I've seen plenty of people who got jobs from someone that they went to high school with or went to college with who, who might be a salesperson at the, at the place they want to work. Right. It doesn't have to be someone who's in the role you want to have. It just needs to be someone who knows a hiring manager and has some rapport with them. So it could be someone that you met from a, a different social club, right? Maybe you're in a kayaking club. Maybe you're a member of a religious organization. All of those places are great networking places as well. And so I think don't limit yourself just to these really techie meetups. That's kind of the key. College versus certifications. What's your experience with it? And do people who have college degrees over certificates, do they have a leg up on candidates? I think that depends on who you're interviewing with. There's interviewers who have a bias towards university degrees, and there's interviewers who have a bias towards practical knowledge, and practical knowledge comes from boot camps, not from universities. I think in a lot of respects, there's a huge leg up from boot camps because you're actually working with the technologies you're likely to use on the job, and you're working in a similar style to the way you're going to work on the job. When I personally graduated from college. I had never seen any of the the languages or technologies that I actually have used in my career. I had never seen collaborative tools like Git or GitHub. I didn't even really know those names. I had never worked with other students on a project. All of our projects were solo projects, so I didn't really know how to collaborate on code. 
there was a lot of things that were fundamentally missing in my skill set that bootcamp graduates have in spades. So I think there's a huge leg up to bootcamps. But again, depends on your interviewer and the particular things that they're looking for. If it is a job at some of the larger organizations that are looking for more algorithmically complex types of, of technology to be built, I think sometimes there is a bias for university graduates because they spend more time on that. If you're looking at the majority of jobs, which are not doing things that are incredibly algorithmically complex, I think bootcamp graduates have the leg up. Do you think it's possible for a person to gain like the essential skills like needed uh, to get a software engineering job from a bootcamp? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's easier to get the essential skills that you need from a bootcamp than it is from a university degree. Some people think it's like too good to be true to like start a bootcamp, graduate maybe in under a year, then get a new a new job. It would seem like it's impossible under a year, like get a software engineering job and you're maybe maybe you worked in manufacturing at a warehouse and then you take the bootcamp and people go to school for four years to do the same exact thing. It just seems like kind of like a far shot. I've seen hundreds of students do it. I've, I've worked at several different boot camps. I've seen literally hundreds of students do it. So I, I promise you it is very possible. The level of job that you can get and the level of success that you'll have and how quickly you'll find a job depends on a lot of things like your background, your personal aptitude for technology. But if you have an appetite for it and an aptitude for it, absolutely, you can do it. Let's say fresh boot camp grad, software engineering, software development uh, boot camp. What's like the average time to get a job after they start applying? That's a hard question to answer. I'll tell you like on average, what we're seeing now is, is between three and six months, but it depends a lot on the student's background. We do have some students who come through boot camps who have either for fun dabbled with coding previously and might have a, a fun portfolio of projects there, or some of them even have worked years ago as a software engineer and they're trying to break back into the field. Those people obviously are finding jobs much faster than, than people who have no prior experience and, and are from a really unrelated field. And so there is a lot of variation from student to student. Aptitude impacts that as well, right? How well you do in interviews. Interviewing is a very specific skill, different to working. Some people are great at interviewing. Some people need a little more practice at it. But three to six months is, is a comfortable average. As you heard from CJ, bootcamp grads are actually desirable job candidates. In fact, 87% of triple 10 graduates get hired within six months. More than half of triple 10 graduates even secured a job before graduation. A lot of people think that like tech is just coding, software engineering. What are like, what are some other jobs that like are in tech that aren't really, I guess, confined to uh, coding? Oh, there's tons of them. So a big one is being in the enablement and documentation space. When you look at these large, complex software systems, they need a big enablement landscape to teach users how to use this massive system. That's a great place to be. If you have good writing skills, if you're passionate about teaching people how to use technology, but you're not really interested in writing code, being in enablement is a huge place. And then the jobs are really, the salaries at times can be comparable to software engineering salaries. It's a really lucrative field to be in. So that that's a really good one. There's also for more business-minded people and people who are relationship builders, there's roles like uh, being a business analyst, which is a role where you work with clients to figure out the requirements that they need for software that's going to be built. And then you relay those requirements back to the software engineering team and you help to manage the expectations on both sides. Make sure that engineers are building the right stuff as the client's priorities shift. Make sure the client understands when things will be delivered, what the cost is going to be. It's really kind of a technical relationship building project management type of role. There's also project managers and product managers. There's really any role in any skill set that you have. There, there is an open position for it out there. 
what are some things that like potential employers are like really looking for in, I guess, an entry level tech resume? So I'll say I can only speak for when I'm hiring folks. For me, I think it's hard to stand out on a junior resume or on any resume. I mean, really, you just get a lot of applicants coming in, some of them qualified, some of them not. But when you're a hiring manager and you're looking at dozens of applications, honestly, they start to blur together a little bit. That sounds bad to say, but I think that's true. Um, And so having some personality and standing out, I think, is huge. I was the other day looking through resumes with someone and there was someone who used to be a winemaker and they used to be a winemaker and they're transitioning into software engineering through a project that they worked on at work, building some data project around wine. That's just like fundamentally unique and cool, right? Who meets a winemaker? I've never met a winemaker. Their degree was in cellular biology. They really had an interesting and neat background. And like that stood out, that stands out considerably. Having some personality, having something cool about you makes everyone go, I kind of just want to talk to this person. So I think I'll call them back. Mm, Okay, that makes sense. I probably should add to that. The the other thing is is being able to demonstrate skills, right? And I think a lot of entry-level people fail to really demonstrate that they have the skill. It's really just, again, that skills list, they're listing off technologies without proving they have that experience or that skill set. And so I think having links to live deployed projects, particularly projects that you've worked on with other people in a team type setting, that's huge. So much of people who say like, you know, you'll ask a really simple question and they'll say like, well, you know, I've, I don't really actually have any work experience, but and I'm like, please, please don't lead in with, I don't have, I mean, it's, it's fine. I saw your resume. I know that you're entry level, but like, let, let's not highlight your lack of experience. Let's highlight the amazing knowledge that you have, the skill set that you have, all of the things that you have learned, all the practical experience you learned, even if it isn't in a professional setting, right? Just don't kick off your answer with, I don't really have work experience. <laughs> oh, that's a good tick. I know I do that all the time. Is it true that HR managers only look through what resumes for like five seconds maximum? I, I don't even think that's just HR managers. I'll say when I'm hiring, I, I do the same thing. I mean, it's just, it's a time thing, right? There's a, a large quantity and there's not a lot of time in the day. So I'll say, you know, I, I probably don't look at a resume for more than maybe max 20 seconds before I've made some decision as to whether or not I at least want to dig in further, right? Not to say I won't dig in further before I make the call, but within 10 or 20 seconds, I know if I want to dig in further. And then as a hiring manager, I'll actually look through the actual technical projects and see if there's the technical expertise there to warrant the interview. But I think first impressions matter tremendously. I mean, I know you said you had the interesting wine making candidate. What are some things that maybe you would put on your resume if you were trying to apply for a job? Uh, let's say like when you, when you were first getting started in tech 15 years ago. I probably look a lot like your typical tech candidate. <laughs> and so I, I do think it's a little bit hard to figure out how to stand out, especially if you don't have this wild and varied background. I do think that there are still ways to appeal to the interviewer and appeal to them quickly. And I try to get all of that at the very top of the resume. And I think one thing that's big for For me, as someone who loves to be in the startup space, I think something that's really important to me is finding people who are really excited by the company's mission. Mm. And that's something that people often leave off their resume. They're really talking about, here's my skills, not here's why I'm super excited about what your company does. Here's why I can't wait to to contribute to your mission. Here's why I'm going to be an excellent fit. Here's where my passion comes from. I think that's a huge way to grab people's attention. Because if I know that I'm obviously excited about the company, I work there. If you're excited about the mission too, I know that we have this this shared value and the shared bond that we're going to hit it off pretty quickly on. And so we're going to stay aligned on things. Not to say when we work together, we're not going to have disagreements. We certainly will, but we're driving towards the same North Star and that's that's big. So I think that's it. If you can really convey passion in those first couple of sentences, that's huge. Mm, okay. 
if a person is uh, looking to like maybe switch their career to tech, should they aim straight for like a full time job or should is like freelancing a better option for them? I think full time jobs are the better option. If you're a freelancer, you maybe could build up the business. It's a little bit tough if you don't have the portfolio to build it, but you maybe could build some freelancing business. The problem is you're not working under anyone's mentorship. And when you're a junior in a role, you typically don't know how to do it at an expert level. That's what makes you junior. So probably you're making some missteps along the way and you're probably ingraining those into your process in a way that's actually going to be detrimental further down the line. And so I always think there's a preference for working on a team with someone who's more senior who can really give you that mentorship and say, hey, here's the best way to do it and here's why and really enhance your learning in those ways. Not to say people haven't become incredible in all sorts of roles from freelancing. I just think it's a more difficult route. Is there ever going to be a point in time where like we're oversaturated with like software engineers (laughs) or data engineers? (laughs) I think we've seen that in some foreign markets. There's certainly a a possibility for too many engineers. I don't think there's a possibility for too many qualified engineers. And I think those are radically different things. (laughs) I know you said you work in the startup community. Obviously, the startup community is very volatile. How volatile are the tech jobs? Like you said, it can be a volatile space, but it's a very exciting space. And for me, it's a space that I love to be in because it is really working with a lot of people who are mission driven and aren't just there kind of nine to five to get the work done, but instead are are there to make a difference and to really drive the company forward and to drive the mission forward. And that for me is exciting. And also it's an opportunity to be a lot more impactful. There's fewer employees. And so you can really impact the direction and the strategy of the company in a huge way. And I love that. I do think there's a risk inherently with startups. It depends on the stage at which you join. If you join as one of the first 10 employees at a startup, the risk is going to be much bigger. The potential reward is much bigger, but the risk is much bigger as well. If you join a startup that's experiencing rapid growth and you're getting caught up in that rapid growth hiring cycle, typically the risk is a little bit lower. You've seen their growth for two or three years. You know that they're growing tremendously year over year. Investors are very interested in them. There's probably some exit strategy for them to either go public or to go through some acquisition. And those tend to be a bit more stable. Not to say none of them have imploded, but public, huge public companies have also imploded. So there's always a risk in the job market. Are there any fields in tech that are like notorious for a high turnover? I know when I was studying in school, they said nurses had a high turnover, a high burnout rate. And I think plumbers had a high burnout rate. Obviously, those aren't tech careers, but are there any tech careers that have high turnover rates? I think at the junior level, in my experience, a lot of tech careers have high turnover. And that's not because the jobs aren't awesome. It's because there's such a demand for qualified people in technical roles that oftentimes, unfortunately, your opportunity to maximize your earnings comes with moving companies. So a lot of times you'll see juniors who come into a company and in six to 18 months have competing offers from other companies that are much more attractive in terms of salary than their current role. And and they tend to jump. So early in careers, I think every role across tech has a tendency to have a high turnover just because people have more exciting offers coming in. And then as you get more mature in your profession and in your career, it stabilizes out a lot. I know like there's been like a kind of a boom over the last few few years like no code websites how has like the demand of technical skills like change or maybe evolved since you've started in tech entry till today i think that low code and no code is is certainly becoming popular at this stage all of the low code and no code platforms that i've worked with still require a level of technical expertise that typically has a developer specific to that low code or no code platform so i don't think that it's reduced the number of jobs but it has certainly created specialized jobs which can be really cool for people who do want to break into the industry and want 
to have this special niche where they are this low code, no code engineer that builds out systems for people that then the lay people and the non-technical people can tweak a little bit with these low code, no code platforms. That may change in the future. I do think obviously there's going to be some impact from the boom in, in AI. I think there's going to be some changes in the field from that. I think mostly it's going to create new niche jobs that are going to be really interesting and cool. My hope is that it'll get rid of some of the work that none of us as engineers enjoy doing, that it'll do some of the, the simpler tasks, some of the, the test writing, which is not necessarily simple, but is tedious and boring. I would love to not have to write tests anymore. I would love to not have to write documentation anymore. That would be really exciting. Mm. Um, I would love to not have to write boilerplate code. I think a lot of this big move towards low code, no code and AI is going to take some of the really obnoxious parts of being an engineer or being in the tech field out of the role. Some of these redundant, repetitive, boring tasks and really allow engineers to work on cooler projects. And that to me is super exciting. I love that transition into AI <laughs> um, with the advancements in automation and like artificial intelligence. How do you, obviously you said that um, it's going to take, hopefully take away like the tedious parts of your job um, in software engineers job. What else do you see like artificial intelligence? And I mentioned the fact like, I, I know a lot of people, they're like, it's a lot of fear mongering. Like, oh, like they're going to be, they're going to be no jobs in 20 years. We're all going to be like, I don't know like what we're going to be doing, but uh, like, what's, what's your opinion on that? I'll tell you my opinion and my opinion is probably not worth nearly as much as a lot of other people's opinions that are more informed and much smarter than I am. My opinion is there are going to be some jobs that, that no longer exist because of AI. I don't think those are largely going to be in the tech space. I think that's going to be, uh, I think there's going to be a reduction in some customer service roles. I think there's going to be some reduction in documentation writing, potentially. I think there's going to be a reduction in some marketing roles. We've seen already that AI is really good at creating marketing content. It kind of those junior level social media curator roles that you see in marketing a lot. I think AI is really well suited for that at this point. And, and I think there's likely to be some reduction in staff and in headcount in those areas. I think there's going to be a boom in headcount over on the tech side, right? Everyone's going to need engineers who can integrate AI into their systems in really unique ways. And so I think you're going to see a lot of cool, neat, new tech jobs coming out of that that require a lot of technical expertise. Obviously, we know there's been books and a lot of YouTube videos made on like cracking the coding <laughs> interview. How should one prepare themselves for like interview process that has like gained so much attention? <laughs> Practicing interviewing is really key because it is its own unique skill set. One of the hardest things that you have to do during an interview is perform a task that you probably didn't have access to prior to the interview while people watch you do it. And that's just a hard thing to do. Like doing anything, it's there's performance anxiety that that comes into that that makes it really difficult to perform in those scenarios. And then we have this tendency as people to go really internal when we're thinking through a problem and, and trying to solution. But during an interview, interviewers want to know what you're thinking. So they're looking for you to talk through the problem and talk through your thought process. And that can be really almost embarrassing and very vulnerable feeling to talk through all of what you know are wrong answers, right? You're going through a litany of wrong solutions in your head before you land on the right one. And that's an intimidating thing to do. So I think practicing that skill, getting with friends, having them watch you walk through wrong solutions over and over until you arrive at the right one helps to normalize that a little bit more. I do think an another thing is practicing, like you said before, a lot of junior folks are self-defeating. A lot of them get into this self-talk that's, well, I don't really know that or I'm not, you know, I don't really have experience there. And I think that that can hurt you a lot in an interview. I always tell people that in an interview, I don't know, period is the worst answer. I don't know is not bad, but I don't know, period, that's my full answer, is the worst answer that you can give. But that the purpose of an interview is for the interviewer to get to 
know you and learn about you and hopefully learn some things that tell them, hey, this person has the requisite skills. And if you just say, I don't know, period, full stop, that's my answer. You've told them literally nothing about you, except that maybe you lack confidence and maybe that you lack technical expertise. And so if you really don't know, pivot your answer to something you do know. Mm -hmm. If someone's asking you something you've never heard about, say, I don't know that, but here's the things that I did. You know, if, for example, you're a bootcamp graduate, you could say, I don't know about that specific technology, but in the last six months, I really spent a lot of time building full stack web applications using the Mern stack. And I really got passionate about building meaningful UIs that are really intuitive for people, but also really beautiful to look at and really highly functional. I'd love to talk more about that, but I'm not familiar with this technology. Could you tell me a little bit more about it? Right. So then I'm saying, hey, here's the things I do know. And also, I also want to learn from you. I'm excited about this thing. I'm curious about it. I'm thirsty for knowledge in this area. Can you tell me about it? I'd love to know how to integrate that with the knowledge I already have. And then let the interviewer give you a little rundown of this technology and show your enthusiasm and show your passion. That's such a more interesting answer than I don't know. <laughs> I and I think that. practicing I that is, is big. Are there any particular challenges that you see like individuals who are transitioning to like software engineering from like maybe other big industries like healthcare or finance that I guess any challenges that you see coming from like those, I guess, other like legacy, I guess, industries coming to tech because obviously tech is more modern. I guess they probably use more different tools. Yes. Are there any challenges that or even or even any uh, any benefits of people that they come from different bigger industries, I should say? Yeah, I'll say it's shocking how high tech healthcare and financial industries have become. So it's shocking how technically literate most of those people actually are. But there, there's a huge advantage to having domain expertise if you're going into a tech company in that same domain. For example, if I was working at a financial technology company and someone came in with some software engineering skills that they acquired either from a degree or from a boot camp or from self-study, and they also brought in domain expertise about our specific industry, suddenly they can teach our entire software engineering team so much about what our users are looking for, how they're going to use our product, what they're going to do, why this workflow makes more sense than this other workflow. And that's massive, right? That's bringing your software engineers closer to your user, which improves your product astronomically. So those people are actually super valuable hires. Once someone has finally broken into the software engineering job, they maybe worked it for a year, what are some ways that they can advance their career and continue their growth? So I'll say it really depends on the path you want your career to take. And I think that's a good thing to think about once you have a year or two of experience, start thinking about, do I want to dig in and be a specialist in this area? Or am I looking to be in more of a strategy, higher level role where I need a general understanding of all the different fields? And those are two different career routes. You can certainly pivot from one to the other later in your career. But I'll say I do think it's a good idea that early on in your career, start thinking about those things so you can path or so you can map out the path that's going to be best for you to take. Mentorship is key if you're looking to be a specialist. Work under people that are smarter than you and better than you. You should always feel like, in my opinion, you should always feel like you are the worst engineer at your company or the worst BA or the worst whatever job you want to be in the worst data engineer so that you're always in the room working with incredibly intelligent people. And if you feel like you're the smartest person on the team and you're not that mature in your career, it's probably time to find a new organization where you do have that level of mentorship that you need. There's also always outside resources that you can turn to to really expand your knowledge and finding an organization that's going to provide you with those resources, those learning tools, and also the time to, to learn, I think is another key to really getting that depth of knowledge. If instead you one day want to be 
in a leadership role and you want to kind of have the 30,000 foot view of how the entire products technology team is working together, it can be really good to move from role to role. And I'll say moving from a very technical role to a slightly less technical role in the technical organization is usually a pretty easy shift because they're usually looking for people with high technical expertise in those roles. So if you were, for example, a software engineer and wanted to become a business analyst who's talking with the customers, or you wanted to become uh, someone who's working on enablement or someone who's working in technical sales and you wanted to move over to the revenue side of the business, as long as you have the people skills, those are usually pretty easy jumps because they're hungry for people who have your level of technical expertise. So that can be a really neat way to get a greater view of how companies run as a whole, how all the pieces fit together and can set you up really well later in life to move into those high level leadership positions where you are organizing things across the entire team and across the entire company. Soft skills are obviously necessary for every industry, especially tech. What soft skills like have been missing during your tenure in the tech industry and what soft skills are most needed now um, in the tech industry? I think most needed now is really a lifelong learner mentality and a real thirst for knowledge. The industry is bigger than it was when I got into it. It's There's so much to learn. There's so many different technologies out there, emerging technologies. It seems like every year there's some new way that everyone's doing things and you need to stay up to date. And I think having that hunger for learning is huge and being able to convey that in an interview is massive knowing that you have someone on your team who can learn things and learn things quickly as your company evolves to tackle innovative problems is massive and so i think that's the biggest one for me the other thing though is is all of the typical historical soft skills that mattered all the way back to the beginning of time (laughs) still matter tremendously at the end of the day if i have someone that goes through an interview and they're 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 pretty good and i just really like them and want to work with them and i have someone who goes through and they're great but i'm not not totally sure that spending 40 hours a week with them sounds fun. I'm going to hire the person that I enjoyed every time. And so is every other engineer that I know. You're always hiring people you want to work with, especially if they're teachable. Very true. I like that. Lifelong learner mentality. Obviously, you said like tech gets new updates, new technologies every month, day. How does one not get overwhelmed with the level of change in the industry? I think you just have to go into it excited. I think it has to be something that, that you just love not knowing and learning. And that does take a while to get comfortable with because it's hard to be an expert when there's a new way of doing it every year or two. The cool thing about it is you can quickly become the expert because if you spend more than, let's say, 80 hours studying something that's only been out for a few months, you almost definitely know more about it than anyone else in the room. And so you can be the resident expert even if if there are no true experts out there. And that's kind of cool. That's an empowering place to be and it allows you to be really impactful in the direction your team takes. I think that's a neat thing to do, but it is different than a lot of other fields. And so it does take a little while to get comfortable with that. Obviously, you as a you as a career coach, I know you probably come across a lot of candidates that like lack experience and confidence. How do you encourage like or empower them to like really pursue their goals of becoming like a software engineer? I'll say imposter syndrome is a hard thing to overcome, and it's it's so hard to overcome that 15 years into my career, I still constantly struggle with imposter syndrome. I work with incredibly intelligent, incredibly capable people, and I often feel like, do I really deserve to be here? And I have to spend a lot of time redirecting 
looking to what I uniquely add to the team. And that can be hard to do on days. And so I really try to normalize that for the students that I work with. I try to let them know that imposter syndrome is real, that it, it's not going away. It's probably going to last your entire career. As you get better, you're going to get better job offers and you're going to work on more impressive teams with smarter people. And that's a huge opportunity to learn. And it's really cool, but it can be challenging at times. And I think it's about surrounding yourself with a hype squad. It's about having people like like your career coach, but also your peers and your friends and your family and your coworkers who will tell you what a great job you're doing, who will remind you that you're awesome, that you're adding so much value, that you're contributing in such meaningful ways, that you're super smart, that the projects you're building are really cool. Having that hype squad around you is, is key to kind of counterbalance that constant feeling of not quite being good enough. I love it. That makes perfect sense too. Well, CJ, it has been an honor talking to you. We've gained so much knowledge and expertise during this interview. Do you have, do you have, I guess, one line of advice for those seeking a career change or even considering a boot camp to make the jump into tech? I, I'd say for people considering joining a boot camp, let me, let me think through a one liner. I'm not good at one liners. <laughs> oh, I'm good, good at 15 liners. <laughs> you're good. 50 liners. <laughs> but I, I do think every role in every industry is moving towards technology, and there's never been a better time to move into tech than there is right now. And so if you're considering it, I'd, I'd say go for it. Go for it. From CJ, the career coach, 15 years in tech. Thank you so much. Um, y'all have a great day. Will, it was a pleasure. Thank you, CJ. And if you're thinking about switching into tech, I'm here to join you in that journey and hopefully make it a little bit easier. For the next 10 weeks, we'll explore what a tech career really looks like. So tune in next week and learn why a fashion expert decided to transition into tech after 25 years of an extremely successful career. This podcast was brought to you by Libo Libo Studio in partnership with Triple Ten. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more career tips, go to tripletim.com slash blog or follow the link in the episode description. See you next week.